For the next few minutes of WGTD's morning show, I am absolutely delighted to speak with Lauren Cochran, who is a senior fashion writer at The Guardian and someone whose work has appeared in Elle, Vogue, The Telegraph, writing on all matters related to the world of fashion. And we're going to be talking about a beautiful and fascinating book that she has written, which is called The Ten, The Stories Behind the Fashion Classics. In this fascinating book, Lauren Cochran examines uh, the history of and the importance of 10 iconic items of clothing, beginning with something as basic as the white T-shirt and finishing out with the trench coat and in between eight other fashion staples. And this is a book that really examines these everyday staples of, of, of clothing, uh, many of which most of us wear, some of us wear nearly on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And it takes us behind the scenes and into the uh, interesting stories behind each of these items of clothing. It's a wonderful book. It is such an interesting idea and beautifully executed. Again, the title is The Ten, The Stories Behind the Fashion Classics. And Lauren Cochran, we welcome you to The Morning Show. Oh, thank you very much, and thank you for your kind words. Ahead of us talking about the book, can you just briefly tell us uh, the genesis of your great interest uh, in clothing and the world of fashion? Oh, it's an interesting question. Um, I have always been interested in fashion, not from a sort of runway point of view, um, in as the book kind of uh, illustrates, really. I've always been interested in how we use clothes as a form of self-expression. Um, so I suppose that started when I was a teenager, as it does for most people, is when you're most sort of experimental with your clothes. Um, and then as, as time went on, I became kind of really fascinated by that aspect of, um, of fashion, um, which I suppose is a slightly different point of view from a lot of my uh, colleagues, I would say, um, who, have, who are more kind of from the kind of catwalk runway um, perspective. Um, yeah, so that's kind of where how I kind of came into fashion, like different route. <laughs> I, the distinction is is made clear towards the very beginning of of the book when you say this book is less about fashion and more about clothes. I've never stopped to think about exactly what the difference is between fashion and clothes. I mean, obviously there is overlap, but there is also, of course, a distinction that obviously mm-hmm. means something to you. What is that distinction? Well, I mean, I think it is to do with um, sort of fashion is an industry, isn't it? It's a kind of, you know, it's, and it's about newness. It's about kind of, um, you know, trends and kind of what's in and what's out. And I think the way that we wear clothes, that's part of how we wear clothes. But, it's, but how we wear clothes is also a very individual, personal thing, isn't it? And sort of how you express yourself and how you're feeling that day um, is where I think how we use clothes. Um, so how I guess how we get dressed versus you know a model on a catwalk, which is a very sort of um, sort of uh, a vision of clothes, an idea of like sort of an ideal of clothes rather than how they're worn in the real world. Hmm. You you quote uh, 
a, a number of people, although you yourself, of course, speak very capably and eloquently about uh, mm-hmm. the world of, of fashion and clothing. But I appreciated a, a quote from a novelist named Marlon James at one point who wrote, putting on external things can get you closer to the core of who you are. I think that mm-hmm. really says something very intriguing there about how even though clothing is something that we wear in a sense, on the outside, they are indeed uh, external by their very nature, but that they express something about the internal side of, of who we are. And I'd never really mm. stopped to think about that either. Uh, how mm-hmm. is it that clothing serves that function in such a, a, a powerful way? Um, I think it's to do with the fact that it is, and the other kind of um, quote that I use in the introduction is Nietzsche Prada, the designer of Prada, who says that fashion is an instant language. And I think it's partly that. It's the way that we sort of signal to the world how we're feeling without, without even opening our mouths. And also, and I think that changes per day. I mean, a lot of people have sort of things that they come back to and they wear all the time. But, you know, if you're, say, for example, you're feeling... Um, uh, a bit a bit vulnerable, you might wear something completely different to if you're feeling in a very good mood and you're about to kind of, I don't know, go on a night out. You know, so it's, it's about sort of signalling your feelings as well as, you know, other sort of things that clothes do, sort of like, uh, you know, what you're doing that day um, and what the weather's like and all that sort of stuff. I mean, it's that sort of part of it obviously but it also is to do with like how you feel um and and they're able to do that in a way that i'm not sure people kind of give them credit for (laughs) towards the very beginning of the book you mention uh, a, a sort of informal game that you often like to play when you are out and about and you call it outfit bingo <laughs> explain to our listeners what outfit bingo is Oh, well, I would like to think that lots of people will now play this game along with me rather than it being just me. (laughs) Um, So what I tend to do, and and part of the way that I um, kind of uh, sort of narrow down the list of the items that are in the book is um, if I'm people watching, which which is a a very uh, favourite pastime of mine, I will count how many um, of the items I see on passers-by going by. So, for example, I'll count how many people are wearing jeans, and that's quite difficult because there were a lot of people wearing jeans. Um, or I might count how many people are wearing Breton tops. Um, and where I live in Hackney, it's very much um, a sort of favoured item of um, that people wear a lot, so that one's quite easy. But um, And so you kind of get an idea of how popular these things are. Uh, it's quite interesting, and obviously they change on depending on what time of year it is, what and, what, what the weather's like, what kind of, if it's a weekend, if it's a weekday. Um, and it's kind of a fun way to kind of see, um, to sort of um, like really see the sort of way that these items are just worn by everyone and of all sort of, you know, shapes, sizes, uh, you know, ages across demographic, they are, these things are worn. Um, and so I, I often play that game to kind of, um, to see you know, to take the temperature of, of each item um, at a particular moment in time. Hmm. Um, we're speaking with Lauren Cochran, and we're talking about uh, her brand new book called The Ten, The Stories Behind the Fashion Classics. In this book, she 
tells us all about ten of the most basic items of clothing that that uh, that many of us wear often on a nearly daily basis, and uh, things as basic as the white T-shirt or the hooded sweatshirt or the little black dress. Uh, all the way to uh, biker jackets and trench coats and and, and much, much more. Uh, At one point in the introduction, you say that the pieces selected here, that is these 10, are unremarkable on purpose. And of course, it's really interesting to think about an author admitting that they're writing a book about unremarkable things. And yet uh, there is often remarkable and intriguing history behind these otherwise unremarkable items of clothing. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit more about, in a sense, what makes these things unremarkable and then what you were able to find that is actually remarkable about them? Um, I suppose they're unremarkable because they are so sort of essential to most wardrobes. Um, so you just don't you don't think about them, do you? I mean, they're kind of like just there, you know. I mean, I don't know about you, but I probably pull on a pair of jeans five days out of seven. Um, you don't think about, uh, you know, where those jeans come from. But actually, they have an incredible history that kind of takes in everything from the gold rush to, um, you know, disco to um, racial profiling, um to punk rock um, and sort of everything else besides. I mean, it's kind of, it's so interesting how these items are kind of, um, part, of part of the reason that I, uh, I looked at them was because they, they have a sort of um, ubiquity across time, but they mean different things at different times. Um, and so that's what makes them interesting. And I think that's also partly what makes them then have that longevity because they can kind of shift to something else, um, depending on their context. Hmm. Um, yeah. How hard was it to actually choose these ten? You you could have gone with less. Uh, you <laughs> probably could have gone with more. Uh, was it kind of a tough process to arrive finally at the ten items of clothing that you celebrate in your book? It, it was quite difficult. I mean, part of it, I did it by doing the sort of outfit bingo thing where I kind of like so that helped me sort of distill down what people do wear every day um, and then also I sort of looked into some stories like of, of things that people wear every day and found that actually their story is, wasn't as interesting as I thought it would be so they were kind of that was that was um, sometimes dismissed from that reason um, or something was too similar to something else so um, for example I would have liked to have done um, the sweatshirt uh, but it's a bit similar to the hoodie, so I, I didn't do that. Or, for example, I would have really liked to have done the white trainer, uh, but I think because I've already got two pairs of shoes in there, um, it, it sort of fell by the wayside. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was basically... I wanted to make it as um, sort of uh, relatable as possible and kind of go beyond the sort of idea of fashion being all about sort of ball gowns and, um, you know, that very glamorous idea and, and sort of think about, like we said before, about the um, about it being clothes rather than fashion. Um, so that, that sort of principle helped me narrow it down. I want to be sure to mention that uh, each chapter, uh, once you have explored that particular item of clothing, uh, also includes a section on how to wear it now and then also some bullet point 
Scott's uh, summaries of of the the, 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 the most important points uh, uh, explored in, in that particular chapter. But say a quick word about that section that is at the end of every chapter in which you talk about how to wear it now. I mean, mm-hmm. we're obviously talking about really basic pieces of clothing. Uh, mm-hmm. so, so what kind of assistance, in a sense, or advice are you, are you giving in this part of the book? Um, I think it's about sort of, um, it, like in general, because obviously there's lots of ways that, you know, how you wear a dress on top now would be quite different to how you wear a little black dress, for example. But um, in general, I suppose the principle would be to kind of just re-look at something that you, uh, you, you think you know and kind of think about a new way to wear it or a kind of combination of something that is that sort of changes your um you know the kind of uh the the, the the safe the safe option that you've done for sort of you know the five five ten years or whatever so say um yes yeah, so say you wear uh you might wear a, a breton top with skinny jeans um i sort of say that actually uh try it with a kind of um a, a pair of like wide neck jeans or a kind of like uh, you know, a, a kind of army jacket or something to kind of just a bit sort of like change it up a bit, you know, kind of. And I think now um, the way we dress now, the way that things can kind of continue to be new is through a kind of um, type of contrast. So sort of playing around with what you sort of, what you think looks might look wrong at first, but actually looks right in the end. <laughs> so you kind of... Um, you don't go with the safe option. So, for example, with um, a pair, a little black dress, for example, you don't wear it with um, black heels. You wear it with a pair of, uh, you know, like neon green heels, or you know, sort of just to kind of um, give it a give it a like it's like a bit of a, like a fresh coat of paint or something. The equivalent of that um, mm. is, is how I would say that you can kind of um, regenerate these fashion classics. Mm. Let's talk about a couple of them. And the first uh-huh. one uh, is indeed about as basic as one gets, the white T-shirt, uh, described at one point as a sartorial humblebrag, one that allows its wearer's uniqueness, their coolness, their charisma, their beauty to shine through. And I'd never stop to think about that, but there, there really is some truth there, that, that when one is wearing a piece of clothing that draws incredible attention to itself because it's so spectacular in a sense the the beauty or the handsomeness of the person wearing it uh is <laughs> could potentially get lost but when mm-hmm. when all you're wearing is a basic white t-shirt in a sense people are really going to see you as well in a way that they uh, not white otherwise but describe mm-hmm. our, uh, to our listeners the way in which the white t-shirt has dramatically changed in in its basic function uh, over the course of the years? Well, so um, originally the white T-shirt was, was basically underwear um, and it has its own roots in sort of T-shaped items that were kind of underwear from sort of the medieval era. Um, and the T-shirt sort of as we know it would have kind of come from around like the, uh, the sort of 20s and 30s. Um, and... Um, they, it got adopted after after that after it became like a sort of um, a sort of um, staple for men men really to wear under their uh, under their shirts. 
um, it got adopted in the 50s by a kind of new generation of teenagers. I mean, I think partly because it, it for their parents, it was seen as underwear, so it was a bit scandalous. Um, and um, then it was worn by sort of people like, you know, Marlon Brando, James Dean, Elvis, uh, Sidney Poitier. Um, so it became a kind of mark of a sort of um, a new generation. Um, and sort of over time, um, it became adopted by um, different demographics. So women started to wear them as, as a sort of fashion item um, in the 60s, really, um, with um, a, a kind of classic one would be uh, Jean Seberg um, in Breathless, where she wears a New York Herald Tribune T-shirt. Um, and um, from, from then on, it became a kind of like, that's, I think, when it became a bit of a humble brag, like you see sort of Jane Birkin in the 70s in a white T-shirt and, and, and nothing, you know, no makeup and, and just kind of jeans. And it's about kind of just sort of letting that beauty shine through. Um, and that's still there today, I think. And you've also got uh, the white T-shirt is also a, um, it's a, it's a sort of sandwich board. So um, it's, it can kind of be the place where you, you sort of, uh, show your allegiance to um, a, either um, a cause that you're passionate about or a band you love or, you know, anything like that. Um, but it could also be, it's also part of um, a kind of newer fashion um, movement called Normcore, which is very much about um, the sort of very much dressing in basics and with um, people like Larry David as, um, as its icons. Um, so yeah, I mean, it still lives on today. It's kind of it's it's also it's worn by um, people who are very fashionable. It's worn by people who don't uh, care about fashion. It's it's just become like a sort of um, yeah, it's it's got something for everyone. I'm actually wearing a white t-shirt today. <laughs> very very good. Uh, at one point, I love the love the line uh, that the uh, white t-shirt is still indisputably cool. Uh, as a blank canvas, uh, it is mm. an arsenal of activism. <laughs> uh, yeah. Another staple of, of clothing that you explore in terms of its history is the miniskirt. And uh, one of the things that surprised me uh, was that there is a, a, uh, some dispute over exactly who deserves credit for designing the first mm. miniskirt. And I would have thought that uh, something as iconic as the miniskirt would have a much clearer, cleaner history. <laughs> uh, mm. Explain just yeah. a little bit about the mystery that surrounds uh, the first miniskirt. Well, so uh, some, of, some of these items do have very clear history. So like the jeans, for example, very much can be dated to Levi's. But with the miniskirt, it's... Um, it's one of those ones that sort of like gradually happened and then suddenly there was a sort of, um, you know, a peak and it became sort of an item, a sort of item of clothing that people talked about. So um, Andre Courage, the French designer, had um, skirts um, above the knee on his catwalk in some of his um, space age uh, collections. John Bates, a London designer who isn't very um, well known now, also had... Um, had short skirts, uh, Saint Laurent did as well. And that was sort of in the, all happened in the kind of late 50s, early 60s. Um, the, what, what isn't disputable is that Mary Quant was the sort of like poster girl. She kind of became the 
which is um, the icon of the miniskirt. Um, and she, I write, write about this in the book, but she, um, she collected her OBE um, at Buckingham Palace in a miniskirt in 1966. Um, so that is sort of like, you know, sort of photo evidence that she was um, the queen of the miniskirt, let's say. <laughs> <laughs> very, very good. Uh, I really uh, appreciate the, the history that you give us of jeans and uh, the story of, of uh, Levi Strauss, although he does not deserve the credit for designing <laughs> the first uh, pair of jeans, but rather a largely forgotten man by the name of Jacob Davis. But it was nice to see that Mr. Strauss and Mr. Davis uh, joined forces, and, uh, mm-hmm. and I assume both profited from this, uh, from this uh, new design. Uh, explain kind of the, the shifting role of jeans uh, over the course of the years. Well, yeah, I mean, as I said earlier, they, they started out very much as a kind of like uh, a item of clothing worn by, um, yeah, like laborers and cowboys and um, miners in as part of um, the gold rush. Um, and, and, they, um, and that was how they actually sort of became like a, a sort of um, uh, like specific item rather than a pair of trousers made of denim. So that's where Jacob Davis saw the kind of gap in the market for these durable jeans. Um, and since, and from then, they kind of, um, they were very much associated with um, working men, really. And I, there is sort of evidence that working women more than two, but they would have bought men's trousers. Um, and then they sort of uh, eventually became kind of acceptable for women from the 30s onwards, really. Mm. Um, they had an, there was an advert in Vogue about um, Levi's, which with the so-called Lady Levi, mm. um, as their first women's jeans were, wore, were called. Um, and then they became more, um, again, they were very much part of the sort of teenagers' uh, uniform in the, in the 50s. Um, and as the kind of um, 50s and 60s went on, they became more acceptable for women. Marilyn Monroe in The Misfits was probably the first time that they were seen as a, a kind of, like, item for a sex symbol. Mm. Um, and as, as time went on, they became um, uh, worn by both men and women. And they, just, they again, they kind of could sort of sh- shift depending on the context. So um, you could have, like, sort of... Uh, designer jeans as part of the sort of disco scene. So that's when like Calvin Klein and Fiorucci and uh, Gloria Vanderbilt made jeans um, that were worn, you know, to Studio 54. Um, and then sort of in the 80s, they became the, the kind of jeans, the jeans that were fashionable were much more sort of um, downbeat and a bit stressed. Um, sort of, and that's when kind of vintage jeans started to become a, a kind of desirable item. Um, and, you know, as, as sort of time went on, they, different shapes and different styles have been adopted by different um, demographics. I talk about, in the book, I talk about the, um, uh, the trend um, with, lots of, with African-American teenagers for so-called sagging jeans, where um, they, they wear them so low um, that you can see the top of their underpants. Um, and this became a kind of um, a type of racial profiling. Um, in the kind of early 2000s, um, and then at the same time as that was happening, they were beca- the, the skinny jean was becoming kind of ubiquitous in kind of like more um, like rock and roll indie uh, scenes with bands like The Strokes, um, who also took their um, inspiration from 
previous bands like the Ramones um, in the 70s. So they just, I mean, jeans just keep going. They say that they say now that the skinny jean is, is on its way out um, because uh, Gen Z are kind of um, sort of uh, mimic, like they, they're sort of taking the Mickey, that's a very precious um, phrase, um, out of millennials um, for wearing skinny jeans and they've kind of switched to very um, kind of baggy jeans. So, you know. They say the skinny jean is on its way out. I still think it's probably worn by a fair amount of people. Hmm. <laughs> um, well, yeah. I thought one of the most interesting points made in this chapter is that uh, that the first jeans, I mean, dating back to the 19th century, bear a remarkable resemblance mm. to the jeans that we have today. I mean, some of these other items have probably changed a bit more over time, and certainly there's been some change in jeans, but mm-hmm. but in 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 many of the basic uh, in its in its most basic characteristics, not a whole lot has changed about jeans over the years, or at least not not some of those really basic characteristics. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I thought I thought that was really interesting. I mean, I guess that's why they're so kind of um, why they've lasted for so long because you know it's a sort of uh, it's a kind of no brainer design that sort of like. Uh, appeals to people generation after generation. Absolutely. And I appreciate that uh, in this chapter, among other things, you uh, you tell us how actress Catherine Hepburn uh, played <laughs> played a really crucial role in jeans becoming uh, more and more acceptable uh, for women to wear. And, of course, we, uh, we take the story from there. And, of course, from the white T-shirt and the miniskirt and the jeans, we proceed to the ballet flat, the hoodie, the the Breton, the uh, stiletto, the biker jacket, the little black dress, and finally, uh, the trench coat. Uh, All examined in wonderful detail uh, with all kinds of interesting photographs uh, to help us understand the staples of of fashion uh, even better. The book again is titled The Ten, The Stories Behind the Fashion Classics, and its author, Lauren Cochran. Lauren Cochran, thank you so much for giving the world this really interesting book, and thank you for joining me today on The Morning Show to talk about it. What a pleasure. Oh, no, the pleasure was all mine. Thank you very much.